Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact. From egregious compensation, or is it just jealousy or uh, even shareholder stupidity, to the French Revolution in local broadcasting and uh, Bafana Bafana beating the best in Africa, we've got a lot to get through tonight with the brand father, Jeremy Sampson. Welcome, Jay. And uh, this week's brand bouquet must go to multi-choice. Why is that, Michael? What have they done to deserve that? You know, when you actually think about it, in April 2023, which isn't that long ago, their share price was 14448 Last night at close of business, it was at 7.5. In other words, it had dropped 50% in that time. Now, suddenly, you know, we have Canal Plus come knocking, and after all, they are partners, and whoops, where's the share price? Last time I looked, it was 9475 but still down hugely from that figure in April. And uh, it's an interesting one. I think, and Brand Finance agrees with me, that it's grossly undervalued still. After all, last year in our top South African brands, it was number 11. It had actually slipped from number six two years ago. And you can see what was going on with the share price. And when you think of all the brands it's got, you know, it is pretty mouthwatering. When you think of DSTV and Mnet, CakeNet, Supersport, Munzee Magic, Showmax, and all these brands, which obviously the French are hoping to pick up at, what a knockdown price yeah as african assets are, are dirt cheap and i think it's a very good point you you make there jeremy uh, multi-choice has proven that they're pretty much the kings when it comes to local content and uh, and sport as well but it really looks like canal plus wants to leverage their foothold uh, in africa and their competitive advantage that they've got through satellites and uh, and certainly going to be leveraging off that my, my concern for the deal and probably why we haven't seen the share price rally up to the offer price which i think was at 105 rand and as you mentioned you know at 94s uh, somewhere around there yep. is because in the law in the regulations there is a limit on foreign ownership of local broadcasters isn't there at around 20 percent so it's um, going to be very interesting to watch uh, a certain Minister Patel and his competition authorities. But uh, lest we forget, the CEO of MultiChoice, Calvo Mawela, is a certain Gwede Mantasha's son-in-law. Ah, well, I- I'm sure that will help. But also what you were just touching on there is the intangible aspects of the deal. Because when you actually look at their licenses, you know, we talked about the brands, the content rights, the libraries, all that knowledge, all these subsidiaries, all the things going on. There's lots and lots of intangible value there. And this is what we've talked about before. Often in deals now, people look at the net asset value in Africa or South Africa, certainly, and they stop. Whereas, you know, here we have a, a company, MultiChoice, that's got lots and lots and lots of intangible value, which you need to help top up perhaps that share price. Well, that and uh, that gift report that uh, Brand Finance uh, produces highlights the the role that intangible value plays year in, year out. And it's amazing how few um, are, are still taking this seriously, given that I think the bulk of the valuations on the S&P 500, certainly in the case of the tech companies and the Magnificent Seven that really have been doing the bulk of the heavy lifting over in the U.S. economy, lies in those intangible um, assets. Well, absolutely. And, and obviously, one of my roles here representing brand finance is to try and get the global knowledge, the global experience, the global best practice into the local best practice. 
Uh, and as you say, you know, we've got the gift report trying to introduce it to the Institute of Directors of South Africa, saying, surely this will be of interest to you and your members. They say, no, it's of no interest to us. We're only looking at governance issues. Now, I ask you. Well, um, yeah, I've I've long had issues with the way the uh, IODSA uh, carries itself, and this just uh, adds uh, to another feather to that rather uh, well-worn cap of theirs. Let's talk about, speaking of threadbare caps, uh, today Shamila Batoi has been in office for exactly five years. What has she achieved in exactly five years? I haven't seen I think the two major state capture cases, uh, Kusili and Nulani, both collapsed because of MPA ineptitude. In fact, um, the High Court said in discharging the Nuladi case, and I want to quote here, in her 39-page judgment, acting Judge Gusha said the state failed to authenticate, not even through a single witness, the disputed documents which uh, the prosecutor provisionally admitted as evidence. What the court heard was ineptitude of the investigators and a lackadaisical manner in which evidence and disputed documents were handled. And I mean, I can just go on. It gets even worse, actually. Uh, Maybe that's what the president should be focusing on in the State of the Nation address next week. Well, the first question is, why wasn't she fired? You know, when you've been in a job for five years, we've talked again before, when you're a chief executive or you're running a crucial department and you don't deliver, you don't perform, your shareholders or whoever will kick you out. Now, she's been there five years. It's worth going back five years or probably looking at the process leading up to her appointment. That was still Gupta era-ish. And I think this is where we're, we're living in the legacy still, big time, of the Gupta years, of the well, the state capture, after all, that's what it is. A lot of it has not gone away. It might have gone a little bit underground or a little bit quieter, although some is still blatant. But here we have someone, as you say, who we all had high hopes. She's had, um, well, low-hanging fruit that she could have actually plucked so, so easily, and she's not done anything. That's why um, I'm certainly not holding my breath ahead of uh, next week's State of the Nation address because I think the only person who's been fired by the president uh, was Tabi Lioka after the PhD Farago. And why? Well, she doesn't have um, that much uh, political capital. So uh, she's an an easy target. Uh, I think the president, when it has come to the difficult decision, has uh, has shown that he's certainly not up to the job, Jeremy. Uh, Speaking of not up to the job, is Boeing up to the job? Is Boeing going to disappear as a brand? And I say this because it was probably unthinkable five years ago, but now not perhaps such an unthinkable scenario. No, uh, what what a a sad, sad story. Uh, I have to say Tabo Leaka is is a sad story as well. But Boeing, yes, when it was dominating the, the airways, um, and you know, scoffing at the Europeans putting together their uh, little Airbus, I think, to start with, and what's come out of that. Um, Boeing is in serious, serious trouble because it's a serious offender. Um, you know, any chief executive will know if you get it wrong once, uh, but you have strong equity, you have a very strong brand, and boy, was Boeing strong, then you can get away with it. You can ride it through. If you have two instances, then people are going to look at you a little bit old fashioned. But if you have three or more, then you're, you've got a problem. And they've obviously got a huge, huge problem. I was actually quite surprised to hear. Um, Ryanair, who've got a lot of these new planes coming down the line, actually being asked to send over their experts and their 
inspectors to be in Seattle looking after the planes that Boeing are making for them. Now, I've never heard that before, um, and it just shows you, I think, what a state Boeing is in. The, the current chief executive is obviously fairly new there, and he's trying to clean house, but it shows how deep into the, um, the culture of Boeing, as it were, uh, that they've got these issues and problems. Yeah, and I mean, you speak about the the chief executive, and that's where I think chief executives are, are sometimes undervalued. I know there's been a lot of talk about executive pay, and executive pay often looks absolutely obscene when uh, you look at the inequality around the world. Uh, but a good CEO, and you just take Elon Musk, for example, everyone's been talking about this Delaware judge, uh, Kathleen McCormick, who uh, voted in favor of some shareholders who were unhappy with his 55.8 billion US dollar uh, pay packet. Uh, but the question is, and when he sat down and he put this deal in front of shareholders back in 2018, the shareholders didn't, by majority, say no at that stage. Because what he did, he took a company that was worth less than a couple of billion dollars. And he said, right, I'm not going to take a salary, but I will take uh, share options based on certain hurdle rates. They were EBITDA and revenue and market cap based. And for every $50 billion in market cap, he got more shares. And yes, I mean, if you took it out to its eventual extrapolation, um, this is the sum that he walks away with. But shareholders got all the upside. At one stage, he topped a trillion dollar market cap valuation in 2021. The shareholders enjoyed all of that. Um, I think for the shareholders to cry foul now is uh, is really sour grapes. Well, yes. Uh, and as you would know, the, the judge was sitting in Delaware, where most American companies uh, seem to be domiciled. It was interesting that uh, the big, what, American investment house, Fidelity, there was a gentleman talking about it uh, the other morning. And he said it was interesting. He, he thought the judge was more concerned uh, with the process than the actual figure, uh, which is an interesting point. But you're absolutely right. You know, go back to 2018. What was the market cap of Tesla? It was about 60 billion. Come to uh, three years later, it was 650 billion. And no chief executive has ever done a 10 times jump like that in, what, three or four years. And, you know, this is where Elon Musk is, well, demonstrating again and again and again, as he did this week with Neuralink, that he's different, that he gets on with things, and he's disrupting and he's making things change. But as you point out, shareholders made a lot of money. My goodness, you know, they've done very well out of this. And he's not finished yet. He's still, what, only, what, 52, 53 yeah, exactly. And and the question is, if the judgment holds up under any appeal, the big question is then, what should Tesla have paid for Elon Musk's services as the founder, as one of those CEOs who is a bit of a, a rock star CEO? Let's face it, he is built different, as they say in South Africa. How big a stake mm. does he deserve to have in a company whose value briefly topped a trillion dollars? And uh, yeah. and as a shareholder, you need to sit down and you need to agree on that with the founder. And it's always this, this inherent tension, specifically with tech companies that are brought to markets by founders and they have uh, voting structures that give the founders a, a bit more control than the rest of the shareholders. The thing is, if you're a shareholder and you get in on that structure, you know the rules of the game. To cry foul afterwards uh, always smacks to me of, uh, you know, uh, a bit of jealousy and uh, and maybe just a bit of naivety as well. Well, absolutely. You know, this term zero-based compensation is very interesting 
Um, the only local example I can think of is a certain former CEO of NASPERS, who's done incredibly well uh, as a result of not taking a salary and is a multi-multi-millionaire. I wish some other chief executives would actually say, right, pay me on performance. Imagine if the CEO of Sassel, when he took over, um, worked on this basis. You know, uh, he wouldn't be very well off, would he? Oh, exactly. Uh, well, I, I'm going to be toasting Elon Musk. I say, well done, Elon. You built this. Um, you uh, deserve every last dollar. Uh, and he'll probably take it and, and give most of it away uh, to some kind of philanthropic cause at the end of the day. But if he doesn't, he earned it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be uh, sitting here bemoaning the fact that uh, people walk away with these huge sums. If you innovate, if you develop new products, new markets, then you uh, deserve whatever you get. Just lastly, Jeremy, well, what are yeah. you drinking this weekend? <laughs> I'm wondering, what are we celebrating? Um, we've got Valentine's coming up. How about some nice rosé bubbles um, from somewhere like Stiernberg or Graham Beck? Um, I'm sure your other half would appreciate that as well. But brute, not sweet. There we go. Now I know what to pick up. I'm, I'm going to be in Cape Town next week uh, for the mining in Derby. So I'll be sure to uh, pop into Steenberg to get some uh, rosé brute bubbles, uh, courtesy of the grandfather. I'll say uh, you sent me, Jeremy. Good evening, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> that was Jeremy Sampson, uh, the grandfather with the brands and sense, as always, uh, bringing us to an end of uh, a Packed week, I must say it really has been. Uh, we'll see you in Cape Town on Monday broadcasting from the uh, mining in Darba. Good news, we finally have a mining cadaster. So for the first time in a long time, we uh, start the show uh, with a slightly more upbeat outlook for the local mining industry. Uh, remember, if you missed any part of the show, if you just want to listen again, get the podcasts on fmr.co.za. Good night. Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact.